Welcome to the Responsible Finance Podcast, the official podcast of the Responsible Finance and Investment Foundation. I am Blake Good, the CEO of the RFI Foundation, a global nonprofit organization working to build awareness, promote research, and encourage convergence in the responsible finance industry, including socially responsible investment, ESG, Islamic finance, and impact investment. The purpose of the Responsible Finance Podcast is to connect you to the leaders behind innovative approaches to creating positive social impact in responsible finance. In this podcast, we talk to Dr. Jamila Mahmoud, the Undersecretary General for Partnerships at the International Federation of Red Cross and Red Crescent Societies, IFRC. At the IFRC, she has led their exploration into new applications of Islamic social finance to address humanitarian and development needs. We are also happy to have Dr. Jamila join the RFI Board of Trustees, bringing her experience with humanitarian and development relief. As the responsible finance industry becomes more and more involved on the sustainable development goals, it becomes even more important for the financial sector to be aware of the wider context around sustainable development. I hope you enjoy our conversation about the IFRC's work on Islamic social finance and how a ground-up perspective can be valuable as the financial sector looks to become more actively involved in supporting sustainable development. Can you introduce yourself and what you do for the IFRC and your background before joining the IFRC? My name is uh, Dr. Jamila Mahmoud. I am a Malaysian uh, nationality uh, and uh, I I'm a medical professional by training, having been uh, working as an obstetrician and gynecologist for many, many years. However, in uh, 1999, I um, had a little career switch and uh, involved myself in uh, the humanitarian and development sector, starting my own organization called Mercy Malaysia, and then um, you know, going out to humanitarian crisis all around the world. I did this for 10 years before joining the UN, and I had in total about four years experience in the UN, uh, both at UNFPA and at uh, OCHA, uh, looking at, uh, first of all, reproductive health uh, in emergencies, and then my latest stint at the UN was leading um, the organization of the World Humanitarian Summit, which was really to look at how we can um, address some of the huge challenges in the world today. Um, I started at the International Federation of the Red Cross and Red Crescent Societies, or IFRC, based in Geneva in January 2016. Uh, my role here is as the Under Secretary General of Partnerships, which really encompasses a, a wide range of um, portfolios from partnership and resource development to policy, strategy, uh, innovation and knowledge and uh, global communications, as well as a liaison function with the United Nations in New York. Uh, in my role, of course, in resource development, uh, we are looking into all the innovative ways we can actually meet uh, the huge challenges uh, we face today, um, particularly because despite the generosity of uh, traditional donors, the uh, gap between needs and available resources is widening mainly because a lot of crises are just getting more protracted um, and we have more challenges than we've ever had before. So Islamic finance is uh, one of the areas that I'm spearheading uh, in, the, in the IFRC. 
when many people think about the Red Cross and Red Crescent societies and the IFRC, they think about charitable charitable donations and the the uh, governmental donors that, that you mentioned uh, for disaster relief. How has that funding model changed? Uh, as you mentioned, disasters have become more frequent and more severe, and that's only likely to increase with the with climate change. You're absolutely right. Um, the problem today is that, yes, the usual charitable uh, approach in humanitarian and development financing is still there, very much about um, you know organizations, agencies, governments appealing for funds in crises, and and then donors uh, responding by generous contributions. However, as I mentioned before, the needs are just escalating to a proportion that we've never seen before. Uh, we now have 125 million people displaced uh, in the world. Never have we ever seen these uh, numbers. And um, as a result, uh, we are uh, needing to look at different ways of uh, raising funds to meet the needs of these people. Now, it's not also about raising funds to meet their needs, but also looking at how do we actually get people out of need. And this requires us to look at crisis from a prevention, preparedness point of view and assistance more as a resilience uh, approach uh, where possible. Obviously in conflict, you know, we have very little room to talk about resilience in conflict, although we know that many of the people affected by conflict are extremely resilient, otherwise they wouldn't be able to survive. However, for natural disasters, climate change, and, 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 and other types of uh, crises, we need to look at how we actually invest in resilience. And this cannot come from regular donations. I think this is where we need to look much more at um, how development funding kicks in for chronic and recurrent um, crises. But also, are there new ways that we can bring uh, funding to the table? For example, you know, where, what is the role of the corporate sector in building resilient communities? How do we look at impact investments? Uh, and how do we imp increase social entrepreneurship among people who are affected by crisis or are vulnerable to crisis? Yeah, that's really interesting. And the impact theme is, has definitely become more prominent that I've seen in responsible finance, shifting from how do we screen stuff to how do we transform communities? How do we transform finance? What's the most important way that the changes in the financial system and the, the implementation of the sustainable development goals have affected the work that you're doing and the way that you think about the interrelation between between different areas of, of uh, humanitarian need. So, as, as I mentioned before, traditional donor funding, though increasing, is unable to meet a lot of the needs. But several indices are also showing us that the, the funding that's provided uh, is also quite narrowly targeted. So the UN, for example, estimates that developing countries will require about 25 trillion US dollars a year to achieve the SDGs by 2030. And furthermore, governments' ability to strategically mobilize various sources of financing for social purposes remains underutilized, even though many around the world are dealing with fiscal crisis and rolling back many of the essential services. 
I think what we need is um, a shift towards an explicit focus on the SDGs, which is valuable as a unifying reference for all agencies working in the sector, including governments and private sector. Um, it, for us at the IFRC, is a positive reinforcement. It, it underlines even more the need for us to identify and leverage um, you know, our alternate capital flows and it's essential to have meaningful impact for the communities we serve. And I, I, I omitted earlier to mention that the International Federation of Red Cross and Red Crescent Societies is um, a federation of 190 national Red Cross and Red Crescent Societies across the world. Um, and they are uh, auxiliary to government. Um, they are formed by an act of constitution. Uh, there, are certain, there are laws that uh, um, govern how the Red Cross and Red Crescent movement works, and these are primarily also through its humanitarian principles, independence, impartiality, neutrality, uh, humanity. And, and, and I think that uh, you can see, therefore, that despite all the measures and policies and everything that's put in place, unless communities themselves are strengthened, and the last mile of, of, of where we want to reach, you know, this is where we work as a federation. And we also are there before, during and after crisis. So development cannot happen in, in, in situations where there's recurrent crisis, which delays development. And similarly, poor development can often lead to, to crisis. So we become extremely relevant at the, at the community level. So um, for us at the federation, part of our innovation and futures work that I lead we continuously scan the horizon and analyze trends and try to understand potential opportunities to deliver the work we do more effectively and efficiently. And we're trying to, we are finding now the emergence of a new, a number of new financing models growing both in terms of their market size, their operations and the way they serve those in developing countries as a new alternative. These innovative financing instruments uh, are proje projected to unlock private capital and help further leverage public funding to mobilize various new sources of investment for public policy, social services, and development goals. At the same time, realigning interests of various partners and creating new investment opportunities. Um, if I can give you an example, if we, if we look at the recurrent drought and food crisis in some parts of Africa, um, we also see that the role of insurance becomes quite important for developing some social safety nets. Um, catastrophic insurance is now also being used um, as, a, as a mechanism where we can actually um, support, say, Pacific Islanders, where you know, uh, cyclicals, uh, cyclones and other uh, climate-related events and weather-related events can actually be um, you know, the needs can be met through some form of catastrophic risk uh, insurance as well. So we're, we're actively um, engaging and enabling not only an exploration, but also an engagement with new financial models that can complement existing resources for development and humanitarian response as a nexus, because there is a real nexus, you know, where does you know, humanitarian end and development start? Um, and the ultimate result, of course, that we want is to design alternative financing mechanisms that can potentially achieve impact at scale and, and serve communities sustainably. Yeah, that's great. It's, it's a lot of the things you've been doing already have connected to, to many of the sustainable development goals. And now that the corporate sector and the financial sector are starting to focus more explicitly on that area, 
you know, the IFRC and, and organizations at the national level in the Red Cross, Red Crescent, seem to be the ideal partners for helping, like you said, to get to the last mile. Uh, and Islamic finance within this, uh, connecting to the down to the ground level, to the to the real economy, how does that how does that open up uh, potential resources for IFRC? Well, first of all, we know over the last you know decade or so, the rise of Islamic finance as a sustainable and ethical uh, tool uh, for all sorts of reasons, not only in the commercial sector but also in development and, and humanitarian needs. Um, the role of uh, Islamic finance, as I mentioned earlier, our federation is a, is a membership organization of 190 national societies, many of whom come from OIC member countries, where Islamic finance could already be employed, whether it's a social aspect, zakat, wakaf, and so forth, or commercial aspects, you know, sukuk, and other other tools of Islamic finance. Now, I don't think we have even unlocked the full potential of the social tools in Islamic finance for our national societies to utilize. If you look at uh, the current crisis in the Middle East, for example, or even some of the health crisis affecting some of the African countries, um, there, there could have been a real uh, role for us to look at uh, Islamic social finance as one of the solutions to, to meet those needs, whether it's hunger, whether it's any form of suffering. So the, the role of Islamic uh, uh, financing in economic development has already, we've seen, yielded tremendous potential and its social dimension offers a greater opportunity for us to bridge the gap in financing need to meet the SDGs. But to date, you know, our majority of our Red Cross Red Crescent uh, movement has not really engaged with and perhaps overlooked the potentially significant contributions that Islamic finance offers in alleviating uh, poverty and supporting affected communities. Uh, the principles of Islamic social finance provide a shared foundation of social and economic justice, which is very much in line with our principles. They can contribute to shared prosperity through the principles of inclusive participation and and risk sharing. At the same time, despite the right intentions, the landscape sees little political will from governments, and much of the money spent in zakat or sadaqa, we are not, we're not clear how it's being managed. Uh, often, for example, in zakat, we, we, there aren't even clear institutions in many parts of the Muslim world where this is collected, where this is uh, trans, um, where there is you know, clear monitoring and so on and so forth. Uh, we don't, you know, there are even allegations that sometimes it's not impactful and some, and not in, in, uh, not effective and in fact sometimes even wasteful. So there's a natural reciprocal benefit to the partnership between us as the IFRC and Islamic financiers, further by capitalizing on new and emerging trends such as fintech and data-driven insights, we expect an enhanced efficiency and effectiveness in the application of Islamic social finance to better serve communities and achieve impact at scale. Um, at the forefront of humanitarian crisis, the IFRC shares in the values of trust, justice, equality, and efficiency, and has an extraordinary reach of you know, 14 million volunteers throughout 160,000 branches in, in these 190 countries. So I think this, this, this partnership between Federation, IFRC, and the uh, Islamic finance world is going to be quite critical. Now, very recently, um, we have managed to uh, 
received the first ever zakat contribution uh, from Malaysia uh, to look at addressing hunger in um, in Africa. So this is a really good start, but it's also a very interesting uh, uh, model that we are employing. Uh, this is, by the way, hot off the press, and we, we are going to write about it soon, but uh, it's, it's a zakat institution uh, in Malaysia, an Islamic bank in uh, Kenya. Uh, one element is zakat, the other is Kadal Hassan, really coming together to look at how you not only address acute hunger and health issues, but also um, look at how you sustainably uh, meet the needs of uh, communities affected by cyclical hunger and, and weather conditions. So I think this is really going to be what we call the transformative power of Islamic finance. Um, in addition to that, we are looking at how can we address some of the huge you know, global challenges. For example, could we end cholera by 2030? And what would it take then? Would we be able to build a, a large sukuk for uh, ending cholera and bringing all sorts of stakeholders around the table, whether it's government or uh, UN agencies or the Red Cross, Red Crescent movement and other partners, because we know that cholera, for example, is only prevalent in you know, a, a number of countries. And if we do tackle them at source, we actually could eliminate a, a, you know, a fatal disease, often fatal disease. So, you know, how do we leverage on Islamic finance as a tool for global good? How do we leverage Islamic finance for a tool that solves some of the major challenges in the world today? That's fantastic. Uh, it, it's doing so many things that the, the business and finance could be involved in that hasn't been even thought of yet. Sort of now taking off your IFRC hat, uh, you've just joined the board for RFI Foundation. What do you see uh, the role for RFI Foundation in, in bridging this gap uh, within Islamic finance uh, to other areas of sustainability and then also with between the financial sector and the charitable humanitarian sector? So what do you think RFI can do to, to help encourage these types of efforts that you've been uh, leading at IFRC? You know, when I was approached to, to be on the Board of Trustees, I was really excited and absolutely extremely privileged, I felt, because uh, it's a truly incredible opportunity here. Uh, together with IFR, RFI, we can demonstrate how duty and dignity in financing can help meet you know, humanitarian needs and address the development challenges today. I think the most important thing is our shared purpose, our shared vision and values. And through this, you know, we also hope to positively shift the narrative and demonstrate the real impact for the application of Islamic social finance beyond you know, borders across faith. And, and I think what we bring as a federation is a real, real um, the reality of, of what people are going through on the ground, the reality of communities, of families, of men, of women, of children, to people who are in the financial world. Sometimes you know, it, it's, it's like two different planets, right? And how do we bring these planets? How do we collide and make sure that we learn from each other, we can research with each other, we can look for new solutions with each other. So I'm very hopeful that, uh, you know, to join this very esteemed group and to, to hopefully, you know, even if we can achieve one or two things uh, together, I think that would be great. Thank you. Thanks again for listening to the Responsible Finance Podcast. You can subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and Podbean. 
If you want to get updates from the RFI about our podcast and our other activities, you can find a link on our Twitter feed at RFI Foundation. You can also follow me at Sharing Risk. Hope you'll join us for our next podcast.